Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors Podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to another Nimrod Outdoors podcast. Uh, Chelsea and I are excited to uh, be with you again today. Um, and Chelsea, we've had a little bit of an exciting week in the Dozer household. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Um, tell me a little bit about it. You're, you're sitting here in a chair with your foot propped up uh, on, a, on a pillow. It's uh, called getting old. <laughs> getting old, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you hurt your ankle at an, an adult league soccer game. Yeah, you know, I used to play before kids ever became existent in our lives over seven years ago, and um, and we coached Ridgely at the YMCA uh, this past fall, and they came up with an adult indoor soccer league, and I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I've longed for this for so long, and now I get to actually play soccer, and uh, three games in. So I sprained my ankle. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wouldn't just say sprained. It's it's been an adventure around the household. Uh, you not just hobbling, but uh, crawling on all fours. Okay, places. we live in a 1910 <laughs> farmhouse. There are crooks and nannies. There, are, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what crooks, crooks and nannies are, but <laughs> it just sounded good. We wish there was nannies here to help us out with the kids. Oh man, don't even get me started. That would be a podcast in itself. But yeah, no, like there's crazy amounts of stairs and little steps and yeah. like every room has some transition that is not very smooth like not, they get me every time mention, not to mention our one-year-old daughter just decided to start walking so you are immobile with your foot up for the past past week uh, hobbling around not week it's been three this is day three day three i'm sorry <laughs> i'm been, hoping to be walking in a week it's been a weekend it's been, it's, it's felt like it a has week. felt like a week it's felt like a very long time yeah it's, it's been interesting I'm, I'm thankful it happened on the weekend when you're home but Yesterday, um, being a stay-at-home mom with, you know, very limited mobility was very interesting. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that should be like a, a live TV show or something. <laughs> Where the kids take over because they the, just basically, run away from you. Basically what was happening. <laughs> How was your weekend? <laughs> yeah, so my weekend was great while you were off injuring yourself playing soccer. Um you know, Saturday uh, morning, I got the invitation to be a part of a Outdoor for a Dream Foundation hog hunt here in Elbert County. And uh, I had like literally nothing to do with it except for showing up, seeing how it operated. Uh, but I had the privilege of being in the UTV uh, with the dad uh, and the young man uh, that had, was on the hunt. Um, and if you don't know anything about Outdoor for a Dream Foundation, they uh, do outdoor trips fishing, hunting trips uh, for kids um, that have terminal illness and or life-threatening illness. Um, and they just, they want to love on these kids and give them an opportunity to get out in God's creation. And, you know, so this was a hog hunt where they had dogs and they were running dogs trying to bay up some hogs. And um, unfortunately, when I was with them on the property uh, that I was at, uh, we did not catch a hog. But later in the day, they eventually went to a new property and was able to get a hog for this kid and uh, I was sent a picture and man it's just awesome but you know it really kind of gives you perspective of life I mean we complain about things uh, but here's an 18 year old boy that 
Um, was diagnosed, I think he said when he was 15, <clears throat> he was uh, an athlete and uh, was in a football game, injured his shoulder and went to the ER that night and uh, thinking that it was just a, a regular injury to his shoulder and found out that he actually had a rare bone cancer uh, and mm -hmm. had, a, had a tumor inside his shoulder and they had to cut it out. Um, and so he's been through radiation and chemotherapy and <clears throat> actually another tumor grew back uh, within a year. <clears throat> and uh, so he went through uh, several more surgeries. I think his dad said in the past three years he's been through about 15 surgeries. Um, and, uh, man, the kid just had a smile on his face. Um, you know, he basically said his uh, right shoulder was non-existent from all the surgeries. Just they had to cut it all out. Um, but the cool thing is, is he is now freshman year in college studying for kinesiology. Um, and I asked him, what is that? Kinesiology. It's the study of muscle movements. He, oh. he wants to be like a physical therapist and stuff like that. Good for him. And so I asked him, I said, man, how did you get into that? And it all became, came a passion of his because after his surgeries, he had to go to physical therapy to try and rehabilitate his arm and the shoulder. Um, and so just in that process, God gave him a passion. Um, and he actually said, he goes, you know, two of the reasons why I'm, I'm here today is because of physical therapy and because of God, like, you know, those two things really helped him get through. And so him That's giving glory awesome. to God was pretty awesome. And, um, I was just blessed and honored to be a part of that. And, uh, it was just a really cool experience. And like I said, I was just invited by the local landowner that's a friend of ours that uh, allowed the ODF to come. And so I was just there witnessing it, man. I, you know, it, it was really cool to see and see how a community of people came together uh, to love on this kid. Um, sure. And, you know, nobody knew this kid directly. Um, he just signed up for a hunt and uh, ODF operates completely off of volunteer. Um, and so, you know, to have I think we had about 10 or 15 people out there, you know, trying to make this kid's a dream of his come true. Um, it was just a really cool experience and to see, show the community, um, and that, that's what the community of Christ is supposed to be. Is, yeah, absolutely. You know, coming around people that, uh, you know, can't, can't do for themselves um, and love on them lavishly. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that's something that uh, is, is very, very needed in our culture today. Today, you know, we kind of say, all right, we're going to go to church. And then after church is over, we all go our separate ways. And we haven't quite understood what it means to continue to stay in community. Um, we do community for a couple hours a week on Sunday. But yes, which I'm going to go on like a complete side note. But we were um, hanging out at the park with the kids. And I don't know much about the Mennonite church, but seeing how community oriented they are, and I've noticed that, but in the past, just seeing them together, but just watching their kids play and you didn't know who was a sibling and who wasn't. They all just played and got along. And then all the women were like hanging out on this picnic blanket and just talking and they had tea. And like, <laughs> I was just like, man, I long for that. Like I long for community like that. Sure. Well, and I think that's what God's called us to, um, and, and somehow along the way, maybe in our Americanism culture, you know, we segmented away from that, um, and so it's something that I think is very needed, and, you know, we see glimpses of it, like in the ODF hunt and stuff like that, but it was yeah. a cool experience, so. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Chelsea, let, let's dive right in, like, what, yeah, yeah. what do we want to talk about today? Well, so there's this documentary that we 
we watched actually the full version of the documentary, but um, I'm going to share in the show notes um, a link to a shorter version. And it's actually an interview um, that Jenny Allen does with a pastor called Pastor X. Um, and the documentary is called Sheep Among Wolves. And uh, we've seen it multiple times and we've shared it with our friends because it's just always a really neat conversation point. Um, and anyway, so that when we watched that documentary for the first time, or at least the interview with Jenny Allen, and the conviction I felt was, well, for one, they, they state, the pastor states, and I'm not going to go into all the details, you're just going to have to watch it for yourself, but basically at one point he says that America is in a satanic lullaby. Um, and the whole thing is just talking about the church in Iran and how Christianity is just exploding over there and how like Jesus is literally showing up to people. Um, and like, we don't hear of that in America. Like it's, it, we're just in this lullaby, like they, he just nails it. Um, and anyway, the conviction I felt after watching that is I'm, I'm an introvert, like not being the center of the show, whereas you are like that's your happy place. <laughs> um, and you get like energized off of people. So for me to go off and have conversations with people is, is hard. Like when the church would say, go invite people to church, like that was terrifying. And even around Easter time, they give us those little, you know, business card looking things that says, come to Rock Ranch. And so for me, like they would give me five of them. And if I could get one of those into somebody's hands, like that was a score. Like I, that was awesome. And if I could invite someone to church and then they'd actually come to church, like I was on top of the world. Like I, that was amazing. I did my job. But this, this interview was very convicting in the fact that it's not about inviting people to church. Like that's not what, nowhere in scripture does it say, go invite people to church. Like I am the church and we just recently had some friends over and they watched it and um, and she had reached out to me and was like man she said you know the church is about come and see here in America not about go and tell yeah. and oh how true is that like yeah, like I, I remember you read me that text and I was just like man that's that's so true somehow along the way how we do church whether it's culturally or whatever we we have in my opinion, crippled the church because we have made it to where the church, which is the people, it's right. not a building, it's, it's not, not an organization, not it, yeah. it, it is the people. And mm -hmm. so you, me, anybody listening to this that has Christ in them is the church. And so like you said, it, it is, you know, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Um, and we have turned it into somehow where we have one individual, which we call the pastor up on mm -hmm. stage, and the rest of us just say, come and see what he has to say. Yes. And instead, Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture gives us each individually the command to go and tell. Right. Go and make disciples. Right. And and we're lacking that. Like, we're, we're excited to bring people into church. Like, that's our focus is let's invite them to church. I think today's discussion um, is going to be just around this. Like, you can be just as religiously lost as rebelliously lost. And um, I think your testimony speaks a little bit into this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, read that again and say it a little louder for the folks in the back. You can. <laughs> you can be just as religiously lost as rebelliously lost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, you and I have been talking about this, this quote or this uh, 
you know, whatever you want to call it, this saying. Um, because, uh, you know, I guess it was about a month ago I was listening to a podcast put on by Church of 1122, um, led by Pastor Joby Martin. And they were having conversations. I can't even remember what they were really talking about. But one of the guests, and I think is an associate pastor at the Church of 1122, made this comment. You can be religiously lost as you are rebelliously lost. And, man, it was just like, it hit me hard. Um, because in reality, like you said, Chelsea, that is a big portion of my testimony. Um, you know, I grew up with great godly parents um, that loved me. Uh, they imparted spiritual truth into my life. They gave me a great foundation. But ultimately, you know, we individually can't live off of someone else's faith. We can't live off of anything. Like individually, we have to wrestle with Christ and wrestle with God and come to an understanding. And, you know, so I grew up my whole life in the church. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember never as a family us not being in the church. Um, you know, Sunday mornings, Wednesdays, Sunday evenings, we were always there. Um, and again, had great parents that taught me biblical truth, um, doing devotions in the morning and, and spiritual leadership. And um, they gave me a great foundation. But the problem I had was because that's all I ever grew up with. And I, w I was a really good kid. I mean, you know, part of my testimony is I, you know, going up through school, I never got detention ISS. I never got in trouble. Never had to go to the principal's office. Sure. Um, I never, never. And it wasn't because I just didn't get caught. I was just, I was the goody goody. I was the good kid. Um, you know, I, I never did drugs, never drank alcohol, never went to parties. Um, you know, my life was either on the baseball field or in the, in the woods hunting or fishing. Yeah. Um, and so what this did was even though I had a great foundation of biblical truth, um, it created a self-righteousness in me where I, you know, I would say, well, I'm a goody goody. Um, I'm doing, you were religiously thing. nailing it. I was religiously nailing it. Um, but I was, but instead of seeing these folks that were lost and having compassion on them, I would stick my nose up to them and I'd say, you know, well, I'm better than them. Um, and, you know, I would, I would look to argue with people about the life they were living, saying, you know, wanting to point out their sins and saying, well, that's wrong, that's wrong. Let me show you scripture where it says it's wrong. Um, but in reality, when we look at the life of Jesus, he didn't do that. You know what I mean? Like sure. He engaged them and lived with them and, and did life with them. And in the process of doing life with them, conversations came up, you know, where he was like, hey, you know, what you are doing is wrong. But the only time he ever really called people out directly to their face without being in a relationship with them was the religious people themselves. Right. Um, you know, he, one, one verse. The self-righteous. Yeah, self-righteous. One verse that comes to mind is in Matthew 23, uh, verses 27 through 28 and Jesus is talking and he's talking he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of the dead bones and the uncleanness so you outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are fully you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness hmm. and and really you know I got baptized when I was nine but my testimony is, is I didn't become saved and truly know what it meant to follow after Jesus until I was early on in college. Um, you and I had already met. Yeah. Um, and, there, you know, in our dating life, there was point of contention early on in our dating life because, um, you know, I, I was that self-righteous prick of 
pointing things out and saying this is not how you live this is not how you're supposed to do sure um but the lord convicted me drastically and really what he convicted me on was um it was actually a summer in between college and i was working for my dad and um John 14, 6 was laid on my heart. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and somehow, the, I mean, the Lord just opened my eyes to what that truly meant. And it was not about these religious check boxes of living this good, perfect life. Um, you know, obviously, God's, God's expectation and standard is perfection. Yes. But we, we cannot uphold that, and that's why He gave us Jesus. And so... The, the thing about it is, is we're not, it's not about us trying to be as righteous as possible because we can't be. We, we, are, we are utterly brokenhearted, depraved individuals yeah. that no matter how good we think we are, our standard does not hold well, up. Well, Jesus clothes us in righteousness. We can't do that ourselves. Exactly. And so it was literally surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus that gave me the righteousness. Mm-hmm. Whereas before... You know, I I would you know stick my nose up and say, well, I'm I'm more righteous than you are, um, and you know I can remember a conversation with a college baseball teammate, and man, when I said it, I thought I was like in the right, and then once God revealed the trueness of my heart to me, um, like it hurts. I, I, it hurts. <laughs> I was broken yeah. because this guy was walking around. And, you know, I, he was not right in what he was doing, but, you know, he was he was walking around with a, a cross necklace and all this stuff. And, and I was like, man, I said, what is that? You don't even live that life. And his comment to me was like, man, I'm just trying to be righteous. And even though he, I fully expect he meant it to be a dig or to be disrespectful, um, my comment back was like, man, I, you know, I'm way more righteous than you ever could be. But if we really dive into the truth of the gospel, that's not true. I was just as broken and as lost as he was, but I was religiously lost while he was rebelliously lost. Yes. But we are both under the condemnation of sin. Yes. And, um, and what's even crazier is in Jesus' interaction with these people in the Bible that we read, he was way more gracious to the rebelliously lost than he was to the religiously lost. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, we, we can, I mean, I could talk for hours about that, but really, you know, when we were, when you and I were discussing kind of the, the topic for today, what really came to mind to, to bring this home scripturally was the story of the, the prodigal son. Yes. Um, the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus tells this story, um, and you find it in Luke chapter 15, 20 through 32. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if, I think everybody listening is probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son. But just some cliff notes, you know, there's a, a father, a very wealthy father with two sons. One of the sons comes to him and says, Dad, like, I want my inheritance now. Um, I'm going to go off. I'm going to do my own thing. And so he takes his inheritance. He runs off. He lives his life lavishly, but eventually squanders it till he has nothing. Um, and then, you know, finds himself, uh, you know, having to work feeding pigs, which as a Jewish boy is absolutely like, un- like, it's not only physically unclean, but it makes you spiritually unclean in the eyes of the Jewish tradition. Um, and it says that, like, he can't even make enough money to eat, so he starts eating the slop that they're feeding the pigs. So he's an example of being rebellious 
rebelliously lost. Rebelliously lost, yeah. right? And so he comes back, um, comes back to his father. You know, he pre-plans this apology to his father and all that and comes back. Um, and so I want to pick up the story where he comes back to his father. Um, but really the focus of what I want to talk about isn't even about this rebelliously lost son. I want to talk about the interaction that the father had with him, but I also want to talk about the other son that we will see very quickly was religiously lost um, and break that down and break it down for us individually and also break it down for us as the church. And what, what does it mean for us as the church to be religiously lost? And so um, if you pick it up, uh, chapter 15 of Luke, starting verse 20, it says, uh, and, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. For this is my son, for this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, starting verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what, the, what these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but his aunt, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property and your prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad that your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so I, let, let's break this down for a minute. And uh, really, I want to start off with talking about um, the son and being religiously lost and, and what that means to us individually, because that was me, was, you know, you have this, this, this brother that was completely lost. He was rebelliously lost, right? Mm -hmm. But he comes home and the dad is just lavishing him. But what did the older, what did the son that stayed home do? He, he stuck up his nose. He was angry. He was bitter. Um, you know, he was he was pointing out his son, his other brother's sins. He was saying like, sure. "Look, he's wasted your money. He's he's been with prostitutes." You know what I mean? Like, he was pointing out someone else's sin and saying, basically trying to. He was comparing himself. He was, he, he was self righteous. He was saying, "I'm better. I'm." I'm better than him. Why is why are we celebrating him? Celebration should be on me. Like, I should I deserve these things. He doesn't yeah. deserve those things. Yeah, I, like I never ran off. I was never you know disobedient. Like I was loyal. I was here. I was doing this. Um, but you know, Chelsea, you and I have talked about it. Like, man, one of our favorite days in inside the church is is uh, baptism sunday um, yes as a family we love that and and we intentionally take our kids out of sunday school to come witness baptism yes um, and the reason why we do that is because it, it truly should be an absolute celebration like this father is showing of man this 
they were lost and now they are found and they're giving their life to the Lord. Um, you know, as a family, we, we clap, we cheer, we hoot and holler. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people in the church look at us and they're like, what is going on? But it says that all of heaven rejoices when one soul gives their life to the Lord. And yeah. so we are celebrating that and we, you know, we are throwing a party. One thing and I find it interesting, it says, and the brother heard uh, loud music and dancing. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were partying. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes in our culture today, we just, someone gives their life to the Lord and it's like a little golf clap in the church. Yes. Um, and man, that, that's a pet peeve of mine. Like someone just made the greatest decision of their life. And it says that heaven is rejoicing. Exactly. And we're sitting in a, in a congregation of believers that should be rejoicing as well. And they're just golf clapping. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want it to be a celebration. I want I want the band to hit hard. I want those drums to hit. I want people cheering and jumping up, um, because it, it's not out of dis- it's not a disrespectful thing. It, it is literally giving God glory and honor that He saved another person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, think about like when we're celebrating and clapping and cheering and like we're praising Him. You know, and He deserves like he just saved an individual like he just saved their soul like that there is nothing on earth that is more exciting than that well and so going back to the brother you know i mean like that was my life for the first 19 years of my life of i thought it was about living this life in a way that outwardly looked righteous um and I thought that meant that inwardly I was righteous. Like I was doing everything God told me to do. I was I was the straight and narrow, you know, walking the straight and narrow path. I was the straight arrow. I was, you know, doing everything that a good Christian boy was supposed to do. But the problem was I was so religiously lost because I didn't know Jesus personally. I was not following him. Sure. I was just living an outward life. And that's what Jesus approaches in Matthew 23 where he's like, you're just whitewashed tombs. Like you might look good from the outside, but inside you're just filled with death and bones and there's no life there. Um, and you really, that's what Jesus approaches all the religious elite in the Bible of just like, you know, what, what were they always trying to do? They were always trying to catch Jesus in, you know, well, this goes against our tradition or this goes against religious law or this is that or, you know, you're unclean because you dine with sinners. And, you know, Jesus took that religious tradition and bigotry and just flipped it upside down and says, I, I have not come for the righteous. I've come for the lost. Yeah. Um, which in reality, those righteous people were just as lost. Um, but well, he and he performed miracles on the Sabbath and like it's just funny because they had laws that weren't even necessarily God's law. Like they were laws that they had written in, you know, laws that they then created. And, and so Jesus, he didn't, he didn't break God's law. He broke their law, man's religious, man's religious law. It's about the religion that we, we are actually idolizing over God. Sure. Like we have built this, this thing, this religion, and these laws, and these rules, and expectations that we are placing before God. Yeah. Well, I mean, even look at the breakdown of the church and denominations. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, you talk about sheep among wolves. Um, the documentary, and it's about the church in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the church in Iran is it is the fastest growing church in the world today. Mm-hmm. 
but there's no denominations. No, there's there's no there, building. There's there's just Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're it's not, literally people gathering wherever they can gather and to talk about Jesus. To talk about Jesus, not talk about well, this is how the Baptists do it, or this is how the Methodists or the Presbyterians or you know whatever tradition or whatever religion or oh, denomination yeah. you're part of. Like that's that is the the where man got involved. Just made up this whole form of like salvation and discipleship and and we rely so heavily on the church and the pastor and it's not like that and i think when we when we watched this documentary like it just kind of blew that whole perspective away um with i'm not going to dive into my testimony today but um i didn't grow up in the church and so like my church experiences were the little bit of when we were dating and we'd visit your family and we'd go to church with them. And then when we actually got married, we settled in and, and attended a church, a non-denominational church in Brevard. And now being down here in Georgia, we're going to a first Baptist, you know, Southern, very Southern Baptist church. Um, and so my two experiences are in the two churches we've been in. And those are my experiences. Like you're, you have invitation and you're supposed to go up there and, and the pastor does everything like he's the one who baptizes and everything and um but this documentary just like flipped all that for me because that's not how it's happening in iran in the fastest growing church in the whole world it's not happening that way it is people going out and having conversations with others and inviting them into their home for dinner and and from there like they're opening the bible and just diving into the bible and scripture and jesus is showing up to these people in their dreams not in their dreams like i mean he's just showing up and there's no like let's say a prayer and let's let's walk through all these you know 10 steps of becoming a christian here's a pamphlet like on how to do it like it's literally the holy spirit is just like indwelling them through their time with god and with community with each other sure and there's even scripture where jesus talks about you know the one thing that can hinder the spirit most is religious tradition yeah. Um, and talking about how our religious, like we idolize religious tradition over the movement of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so we say, as long as it fits in this box, you know, in our denominational standards, as long as it fits in this box, then we're good with it. Mm-hmm. But the minute the Spirit wants to move outside of that box, you know, we close the door and we're like, nope, that's not us. We're in this box. This is yeah. what we do. Well, and that's and, why all of our churches and denominations, like they have people who are alike. You know, mm-hmm. like this denomination, these people think alike. And this denomination, this these people think alike. And we're totally missing it. We're so focused on that that we're missing the lost world around us that we should be going out into. And I mean, like running out into and with as much passion as we have and like going to the people. Sure. Well, and that brings up, you know, the the other part. So like at first, you know, talking about the son that the, the son that stuck around and how he was bitter and upset that this rebellious sinner was able to come back and the father lavishly loved him um and i you know what what is the biggest complaint you hear from people that don't go to church today like it's just filled with hypocrites and it's because of this right here like we are all lost whether you're religiously lost or rebelliously lost you're all lost which equals condemnation and we what we deserve is death hell and the grave um and so it doesn't matter if you think you're self-righteous and religiously, like you're just playing tradition. You're yeah. just playing church. Um, the true test is, 
are you willing to submit your life to the authority of Jesus? And what Jesus did, and follow Jesus, and what Jesus did was he took that religious tradition and stuck it on its head. And, you know, like his interaction with the woman at the well, like his disciples came up and were perplexed. Like, first of all, why is a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman? Not only that, she was a promiscuous woman. Mm -hmm. And so all that was no-nos. And yet Jesus was just like, she's a lost soul and I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to love on her. And because of that interaction, entire, like, people upon people in this town came to know Jesus. But if he had gone by Jewish law and Jewish tradition, like, would that have ever happened? But that that's the thing about Jesus was he was like, I'm a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. Like, right in there, that's a no-no, but I'm, I'm going to break that. And I'm a Jewish man that is ceremonially clean. She is a, you know, a, a prostitute, a promiscuous woman. And yet he still interacted with her. Um, mm-hmm. And oh. that's where the religious elite had a problem. And that's where me growing up, I had a problem. I'd sit there and say, well, I've been in the church my whole life. I've been the good kid my whole life. And, you know, I would have a hard time if I saw someone I knew that lived a life that was not, you know, according to scriptures. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they showed up in the church and said, you know, I'm, I'm giving my life to the Lord. I'd be like, yeah. I don't know about that. You know, I, I would question it. When in reality, I should be excited because yeah. this this child of God has come home. Um, and that brings us into talking about the state of the church. Yeah. And like you said, like, are we running out to find these people and are we lavishing um, them with love? Um, or are we sitting back, sticking our nose up in the air going, well, we'll see. We'll see if it lasts. Sure. Um, and so that's where I want to bring into the state of the church. And we're going to talk about the father and his interaction with this son. Um, and what's amazing to me is, you know, this son took his father's riches and squandered them. Like, just absolutely lost everything. And then when he comes home, you know, the father doesn't just sit back and wait for the son to get all the way home. The father is actively looking for the son. And when he sees him, he runs to him. And what's amazing is in Jewish culture, you know, it was thought to be shameful. And it brought disgrace upon you as a Jewish man if you were running. That meant that you didn't have your affairs in order. Mm -hmm. And so older Jewish men did not run. And so for Jesus to tell this story to a group of Jews, they'd be like, ah, that's interesting. Like, why is he running? And so especially running after this son that squandered everything, you know, well, so first of all, he runs to him. And that goes back to the comment that our friend made of, you know, it's not about come and see. It should be about go and tell. Yeah. And so you see this father going to the son. As fast as he can. Not just saying, hey, whenever you're ready, come on back. He's, yeah. he's saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you and I'm, I'm going to love on you. And that, that's the next thing is this, this son, like obviously he didn't, he didn't have clothes because he said, go get him a robe, go get him a ring, go get him shoes. I mean, he was he was completely washed out. Mm-hmm. So not only that, but it says here that he was feeding pigs. And so for Jewish culture, a pig is makes you spiritually unclean. Right. And so not only was he physically unclean because he was in this pig sty with slop, but he was also spiritually unclean. And so according to Jewish tradition, like you don't associate with that. That that person needs to go get themselves physically clean and spiritually clean. Yeah, which, but, which is going to be like a series of sacrifices. I don't know, you know, yeah. you'd have to go back in Old Testament to figure that out. But like there's, 
there's a whole process there in that now he's exposing himself to that, that he's going to have to, him and his son are going to have to go through those sacrifices and, and to clean themselves spiritually. And, um, but he didn't think twice about it. He didn't think twice about it. And what does it say? He, he ran up, hugged him, and he kissed him. So you got to think, this, this father is, is shaming himself, one, and running. Two, shaming himself and making himself unclean physically and spiritually because physically this this son was in pig slop mm-hmm. and then spiritually he had been with pigs mm-hmm. and so you're not supposed to touch or associate with that and so the father was literally willing to make himself unclean in order to love on this son and then once he hugs and kisses him he says go get go get the best robe you can and didn't say all right shower him up and then give him a robe no, he threw a robe on him immediately. Mm-hmm. And what an awesome picture of what Christ did for us. Like, we don't have to go shower ourselves. We don't have to go clean ourselves to come to Christ. Right. He cleans us himself. And he, what'd you say? He clothes us in righteousness. Yeah. That's yeah. what this father did. He clothed his son in righteousness with giving him a clean cloak. Even there's though he was there's dirty. nothing we can do to achieve righteousness on our own. Yeah. Like, and, it's and, all Jesus. And so what an amazing amazing testimony to see and it says he kissed him so he made his mouth unclean he made his you know it was just a nasty situation and then on top of that he throws this massive party for this son that literally took the inheritance and squandered everything Mm -hmm. um we as the church is that what we are doing like you know yeah we just got into the scenario where we've become complacent and we're okay with just sitting back and saying well if they want to come to church they can no big deal and and like you like our friend said like we've turned into come and see come to the church and see Mm -hmm. when in reality what jesus calls us to do is the great commission go therefore and make disciples Mm -hmm. are we actively looking at the horizon looking for the souls of the lost like this father was looking for his lost son and then when we see that lost son, when we see that lost soul, are we leaving the, the, the gates of heaven in order to pursue that person, grab them, cloak them in righteousness as far as showing them who Jesus is and allowing him to love on them? Right. And then are we walking alongside them, throwing a party for them, saying, hey, you are a king or you are a queen in the courts of Christ because he died for you. But in reality... Why is the biggest complaint that nobody wants to come to church because it's full of hypocrites? Is because we're all self-righteous. The church itself yeah. has become self-righteous. We've built these man-made organizations that want to sit back and we want to say, oh, well, we had 300 people in the church today. Okay, well, how many of those 300 people are actually souls that love the Lord and are willing to follow and willing to chase down the souls of the lost? Or are they just there to check a religious box like I was for years? Right. Um, and that that's the hard question we have is, you know, are we doing it the way God intended us to do and the way Jesus intended us to do? Or are we doing it in the American format and culture? Mm-hmm. Um, and in reality, I, I think that's why the church is in the state it is today. Um, you know, we've seen, I think, from the year 2000 till now, so just over two decades We've seen more than a 50% fall in church participation. Um, They say the millennial generation, which is our generation, only 13% of the millennial generation are active in a religious service on a regular basis. 
But the problem is with that survey, it says religious. It, it doesn't mean evangelical. So, sure. you know, who knows where they're going. Um, that just shows me that probably way less than 13% is actually Christ-centered Bible-believing. Sure. And so we went from, you know, you know, in the 50s, 60s, all the way to about the early 2000s, church, you know, church participation as far as per capita of, of the American populace was about 75%. And now we have a generation that is our generation, the millennial generation, that is less than 13% actively involved in a Bible-believing church. Yeah. Why is that? And I firmly believe it's because we transformed into come and see rather than go and tell. And uh, we, are losing, we are losing a battle. And unless we change, we flip that script, and we get outside of the walls of the church. Now, don't now hear me correctly. I think church as an organization is a great thing. It brings community together. There's plenty of opportunities for people to get plugged in, meet people. Um, so church as an organization is great. I'm not saying demolish the church organization, but I'm saying we need to start equipping the people of the church who are truly the church mm -hmm. to go out and tell others. Yeah, it's not just about the Sunday morning sermon right. like um acts is the picture of what the church should look like and granted i'm i'm not saying we don't need a building anymore but when you dive back into acts and just seeing how um how they are just going like they are going into all places of the earth and sharing the gospel and sharing the love of christ and um and we're just we're missing that it's too much of you know, come in like and and it, the church just going back to that satanic lullaby. Like, even just sitting in the church today, and I love our church, so this is not, you know, to to hit on them. But like, how many people are? It's like they are in the satanic lullaby. We're worshiping, and they're you know yawning or have their arms crossed or um, just not into it at all. And then the preacher is talking and they are on their phone or they're just staring into space. And it's like, what is even going through their mind? Like, well, it's just, they're, they're checking a box. Exactly. Like, this is my right. quote unquote Christian duty. I got to do it. Now it's done mm -hmm. um, and go. But you know, you make a good point. Like what if, what if the people of the church and, and I hate saying the people of the church because the people are the church. Right. Um, right. But we've been so customized to saying the church, like come to church, you know, it's, We've, we've verbalized church as a place rather than the people. Right. And so I want to be very clear. What if the people of the church or what if the church was willing to shame themselves like this father and run after these, these lost souls and then lavishly love them and throw a party and celebrate that Christ has redeemed them? I don't, I, you know, I think that, you know, Man, there's so many people in the church that would just be upset by that and frustrated by that because Absolutely. it does not fit in that box. But imagine the life change and how the kingdom would grow exponentially. Our, um, just an example of that, our church in North Carolina, not long before we moved, we had gone through a pastoral change and they introduced something that we did on a Sunday, which was a community service day. Yeah. That one Sunday, we like instead of going to the church building we went out in the community and we served and there was talk throughout the town of Brevard about that for weeks and you want to talk about people did come 
to the church because they're like, who are these people? What kind of church is this that on a Sunday they're coming out and, and working, you know? And so they wanted to come see what our church was about. And, um, but then there was talk on the religious side of people going, oh, I can't believe you didn't go to church. There was people who rebelled and refused to participate because we were not doing church in the building that day. Um, but I just think that's this is the picture of the church. Like That's what we are called to do. And think about all the people that were not only impacted, the conversations that took place, the salvations that happened, and then like people wanted, they, they saw it and they wanted it. They were like, this is intriguing. Like, I want to I check this out and see what it's about. Sure. Well, and that, that's the thing is, you know, talking about uh, being religiously lost, like, and checking boxes. Like, if you go back to, Chelsea, you mentioned the church in Acts, and it says that, like, they, they began to sell everything they had and give to those that were in need. Like, mm-hmm. it was an action. It wasn't just sit and listen to a sermon and worship. Like, it was, it was the church actually doing what they were called to do and caring for those that that God had put in their circle of influence and um, that was one thing about that community impact day that I absolutely loved was man to see the faces and to see man I can't tell you how many conversations I had with people like driving by and you know the cool thing is as a church we all had the same type shirt on so they could tell something was going on something was going on yeah and it wasn't you know I remember having a conversation with one person they're like man I drove through town and I saw four or five different locations of your church people. Yeah, I mean, Brevard's serving. a small town. Like, even yeah. square footage-wise, it's small. So we were everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, we were in the big church of of the county. And so, like, I mean, we were everywhere. People could not avoid. If they had left their house that day, like, they could not avoid seeing us somewhere. Sure. And I remember a guy pulling over in a car at our location. And I walked to the window. I said, how are you doing today, sir? And he goes, what's going on? He said, I've seen y'all in like four or five different locations. What is this? And I, I said, oh, we're part of Brevard Community Church, and this is our community impact day. And he was like, it's Sunday. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, we're, we're being the church, and we're loving on those and loving on our community. And through our service and through our action, we are able to tell others about Jesus. And, uh, man, it was just cool. Um, and, you know, I personally know of people, like you said, that ended up did coming to the church mm-hmm. because they were like, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, but the object of that was really our object and our heart was not to get people to come to the church. No. Our object literally was to go serve our community. Yes. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's where I think people get so confused is, um, you know, people get upset about things because it doesn't fit that box of tradition. Mm-hmm. And we've said, you know, I've heard people say many, many times, like, you know, well, we've done it this way for 40 years. I'm going to tell you what, that is one of the dangerous statements you could ever make inside the church and inside in what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Because God, when God wants to move, it doesn't mean it's going to make sense. It doesn't mean that it fits in this box. And if you hold tight to, well, that's what we've done for 40 years, you know, then it, you're not moving with Christ. Christ yeah. is leaving you behind because you're not willing to follow after him. Classic example of that is the Israelites, you know, leaving Egypt. You know what I mean? At first they're like, man, let's leave Egypt. Let's leave Egypt. And the minute it got hard, what did they say? Let's well, go back. Let's why, go why'd back you do this Egypt. to us? <laughs> At least we could have died, you know, fed, but you were enslaved. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they just wanted to go back to their, their status quo, like going back. And, but God had so much more for them. And then what's even more crazy is, you know, they go to go in the promised land and they left it up to a quote unquote church wide vote. And they voted to not go in. Yeah. And because of that, 
40 years they wandered in the wilderness until that generation passed away. Yeah. And so because of the decisions of leadership at this moment in time, literally people suffered that had nothing to do with the situation for 40 years. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I think we got to comprehend is like the decisions we make, whether we are going to truly follow the will of the Lord or not, doesn't just impact us. I mean, 40 years. That's like, I mean, we originally seven years old. She would have another 33 years of wandering in the wilderness before she got to taste the goodness of God because of a decision we made today. Yeah, because we wanted comfort. Because we, we chose comfort over following God's will. Right. Um, and, you know, that not only in the state of the church, but in the state of parenting. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to follow God's will no matter what, wherever that leads? Yeah. And it's going to get hard. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be but, comfortable. And not uh, even just physically, but, like, I have to go have conversations with people I don't know. I can't just walk through a grocery store and not look at anybody. Like, that's that's comfortable to me. Um but that's what we're called to do. Well, I think we're just called to love on people, and that means inviting them into our house and not just inviting them to church. We're called to do life with people and yes. love on them lavishly. We can't love on everybody. That's not physically possible. But there are people that God has put in our sphere of influence. Um, and the, the struggle I have is I, I very easily can love on the rebelliously lost now that Christ has you know, opened my eyes to how religiously lost I was. Mm-hmm. But man, you want to talk, if God, if Christ asked me to love on a religiously lost person, I struggle yeah. immensely. And that was who I was. And I look back, I'm like, how did anybody love on me? Because sure. I was an ignorant, bullheaded, you know, person. When we're talking about religiously or rebelliously lost, like a rebellious person, it's like it's like walking into a brand new room for the first time. Whereas religiously lost people, they've been in that room the whole time. They just haven't taken time to notice its beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been so focused on, you know, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that or, you know, don't touch this or don't touch that. Whereas like a person, like God lavishly, when you walk into that room of salvation and you're, you know, rebelliously lost and like God opens your eyes, it's like you walk in and you're like, what is this place? And you're touching the wall because it's gold. You know what I mean? And you're like walking over to the table that has a vase on it. And you're picking up the vase going, oh my goodness, I've never seen something this beautiful. Whereas the religiously lost person is in that room like slapping your hand going, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't look at that. You're not supposed to do this. Like, don't be disrespectful. Don't don't run in the church. Don't do this. Like, oh, you can't wear, you know, you can't wear jeans and tennis shoes at church. you got to wear a suit and tie. Like, Instead of the religiously person looking at the room and just being amazed at who God is, mm-hmm. like the rebelliously person is, the religious person has been in it so long, and that's me, they feel like they need to protect it, and they, they need to sit there and make rules. They're like, missing authenticity, you know, like the rebelliously lost. They're, they're going to have an authentic faith where the religiously lost, it's not authentic because they're too big into, like, i got to follow we got these bylaws and we got this and that and we need to put more bylaws in here to make sure like we're respecting the building and sure well and that that's the funny thing is like uh i think about it all the time like matthias loves putting his hands in his mouth and his face on windows and he always leaving fingerprints everywhere (laughs) and like you know i think that like what a perfect example of like you got 
a redheaded son that's probably rebelliously lost. <laughs> and when he sees this window and, and it's like it's the sparkly picture, clean. The, the, yeah, it's sparkly clean. It's like the picture of Christ. You know what I mean? And like, he's, he's like, I got to <laughs> touch it. I got to lick it. I got to put a face on it. And then like he sit, sits his face back and he looks at what he did and he's laughing. Like that is the goodness of God. And, and he's, he's wanting to tangibly touch it. Whereas me, being the father... Like, I, keep it clean. Yeah. Keep I'm, it distant. I'm like, don't quit touching that. Quit putting your fingers on that. Like, what are you doing? Like, now it's all nasty. And it's like, what we have to understand is, Hebrews says that the kingdom of Christ can never be shaken. Yeah. And so, when we have these people that come into the church that don't fit the church mold, but God has radically changed their life, it is not our job to try and now conform them into this box of religiosity it is literally to say man god's on fire in your life how can we utilize this and how can we propel you further to go run and find more lost people yeah absolutely Um, whereas we just like to sit there and be like quit touching the window quit licking the window you made smudges on it Um, it's not clean anymore you you can't make christ unclean like there's nothing you can do that will make him unclean he covers you right there's nothing that you do from that point on that, like, messes up what he did in your life. Like, it, it is once and for all. Scripture says, like, no one can snatch them out of our hands. Mm-hmm. Not even ourselves. And But that's what the religious side of things wants to do is we want to build rules and regulations on. Yeah, so, so basically our quote-unquote religion, the religion itself is actually pulling people away from Christ. Like, we're doing everything we can to protect Christ, and, and you know, we want Christ to be kept in this bubble, and so we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Like, we're not going out to people, number one, we've established that, but also we are putting them in this bubble and working so hard to keep it wrapped and protected that we are preventing other people from experiencing His goodness, because we're not welcoming them in. Like, we're... We're keeping them out. We're keeping them away. We're saying, come and see. But once you see... Keep a distance. This is how you have to act in the, the box you have to fit into yeah. in order to participate. Yeah. Um, and that's not how God and how Jesus interacted with people at all. Right. So, but Let's wrap this thing up. Let's wrap it up. So, Well, guys, we hope that you uh, enjoyed uh, this podcast and the conversation. Um, and it's something that Chelsea and I... You know, struggle with all the time, especially in raising our kids. We got to try and find a good balance between uh, allowing them to experience Christ fully, um, but also raising them. You know, knowing that rules and regulations are a good thing. Um, you know, to our life, but not handicapping them and following what God has called them to do and the will that God has given them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, raising them with a solid foundation, allowing them to experience the world um, in a safe manner but not bubble wrapping them by any means right. um, and, and letting them know that God has created them in order to go into this world and pursue others, not sit on their royal throne and say, well, I'm blood bought by the, by the power of Christ and I'm going to look down on you. So um, it's always a balance um, and, and we, yeah. we daily struggle <laughs> with it and I mess up every day and Me too. Uh, it's just things that we are actively, you know, I think if we can, Get our mind focused on it. Um, we are going to mess up. But at the end of the day, always looking for opportunities for our kids to be involved in ministry. Um, and not only just in our ministry, but what has God called them to do? Um, yeah. and, and helping 
find that out and helping steward them in that and finding their gifts and abilities um, because what God has called them to may be completely different than what he's called us to yeah. and that's great um, and so we don't have any expectation of how our kids are to go out into this world and make a difference what we are here to do is figure out what God has called them to do and help them go make that difference so well folks if you enjoyed this uh, make a comment share it with friends and family um, and if you have any questions don't don't be afraid to reach out um, we'd love to engage with you guys um, and we thank you for listening as always stay humble stay focused and keep pressing on y'all have a great day see you later Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you next time.